0: Hello and welcome to the PopBreak.com's official Oscars podcast, hosted by Marissa Carpico and Matt Taylor. Hey, everybody, this is Matt Taylor, TV editor of thepopbreak.com, and this is and the winner still is the Popbreak's official Oscar retrospective podcast. Uh, I'm joined as always by my co-host, the film editor of thepopbreak.com, Marissa Carpico. Say hi, Marissa.
1: Hello.
0: And we have a special guest. Um, he's back from our first season appearance, uh, staff writer for the site, and the host of the best little horror house horror house in Philly, George Hefter. Say hi, George.
2: Hey, how's it going, everyone?
0: All right. We are here early on a Saturday morning to talk about the second ever Oscar ceremony for 1929, um, one of the more weird, interesting years from Oscar history. Um, lots of little trivia facts about about this one, including the insanely long eligibility period and how long of like a wait period there was between the eligibility period ending and the actual award ceremony. The ceremony itself was hosted on April 3rd, 1930 by William C. DeMille, but the eligibility period was August 1st, 1928 through July 31st, 1929. So there was a full eight-month period between the eligibility period ending and the actual date of the show, which is an insane, insanely long wait. Um it sort of reminds me of what the Emmys does now where it's like <laughs> the Emmys will like reward shows in like w- in the summer for the previous summer, which is like always weird to think about. And then you have all those articles, those clickbait articles of just like, why isn't game of Thrones nominated this year or something like that. But, um, thank God they don't do this anymore because it would just truly be exhausting to have to flashback that far. But I guess there were fewer movies <laughs> to think about at that time. um, <clears throat> This is also the first and only time that so far that no one movie won more than one award. Um and I don't think that will ever happen again. I don't I don't know but if you all agree, but um that just seems like an insane like well, there's just too many awards these days and for there not to be a repeat winner. But
2: Yeah. Uh. Yeah, too many awards and like you said, like there's so many more movies just being put out that um yeah. they're it's it's not outlandish to be like, well, you know, for for all these technical <laughs> awards and stuff, maybe uh, some of them do just pick up one award here and there. So I don't know. I I could see it happening again. I would be fascinated if that was to ever happen
0: again. Like it would just be such an interesting year. There was the 2015 Oscars, and I think this year's Oscars year as well, where every Best Picture nominee took home at least one award, which is always like a nice moment even though like this year it was like bohemian rhapsody winning four and green book winning three so it's like it's not (laughs) always great
1: screaming at home
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) one more finger on the monkey's paw closes (laughs) 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 i still remember when bohemian rhapsody won editing and i just like said on my couch to myself like what is happening (laughs) um Oh, God. We're still having post-traumatic stress about last year's Academy Awards. But no, I would love it if we ever had something so weird where it's like every different category had a different film win. But, you know, who knows? And this is the second Academy Awards ever. And there were quite a few changes from the previous ceremony, including as Marissa and I talked about in – Our first season. The the runner-ups at the first Oscars got scrolls, which I thought was very, very cool and interesting and they should bring back. Yeah, that's amazing. But they got rid of that this time. They were they they did not want anybody who didn't win to get anything. And um they had gotten rid of a lot of quote unquote unnecessary awards, including, um, as Inside Oscar described it, the engineering effects award, which was just too vague and no one knew what it meant. Or um (laughs) The, the title writing award, which is upsetting because that was like a cool little Oscar that I think Marissa and I talked about for five
1: minutes. Um, yeah.
0: yeah I mean, I it's not necessarily one.
1: their fault. It's just that, you know, sound films had destroyed <laughs> silent films. Right.
0: <laughs> it's a shame. It, we, we liked what, what, what a fun award that was. God. Um, good, good for the person who won it from 1927. It was <laughs> one the, guy. Yeah. The only person to ever have it. I hope his family still has that Oscar. Um, but the main story from this year is that the the Hollywood finally gave in to the craze that is sound films. Um, it is very – it always is amusing to read historical books about film and see how like for a long time people thought it was like a passing fad and then eventually they had to give in and just start making It'll films. Never It'll never <laughs> last. It'll never last. I think of like – I don't know how realistic it is, but like the artist of just the way that film shows the change and
1: everything and um singing in the rain is probably the like the best you know it sort is of, yeah I One mean of it's message. also a joke but they they are you know they're they're playing to the audiences that went through the sound change and being like oh it is really true that is true <laughs> it makes me laugh <laughs> um, relatable yeah. yeah
0: God that movie's great but um No, it's – so many of the films from this year that we'll be talking about I think are interesting to talk about in both um, how they are as pieces of film and then also um, how they are as like these technical – achievements to watch and you can imagine someone from the era watching it and just having their like minds blown by sound which today sounds truly terrible and i had to like have the volume up to like the highest point with subtitles to try to understand some of the films but um back then it was just blowing their minds and it's it's really interesting to watch from a historical context um and it just it's amusing to see that the academy voters were specifically told to like Listen for the speech and the diction of the actors and when deciding what to vote for and, like, really think about sound and music. And it's, it's a real chapter of how Hollywood changed. And I think we're going to see throughout this episode how much um, major Oscar trends that are still relevant today were born from this year. Um, so let's just dive right into the Best Picture winner, the Broadway Melody. Um, George, do you want to describe the plot a little bit and just your experience with the Broadway Melody, um, if you watched it before this before this episode or if um, this was your first time watching it?
2: Sure. Uh, so the Broadway Melody was uh, – it feels very kind of of the time where it's about uh, a vaudeville act, two sisters, Harriet and Queenie, um, Mahoney. The Mahoney sisters is in fact the name of their act, um, <laughs> and they come to Broadway to – uh, put on put on a show, and and they you know they they know that there's a thousand sister acts, but theirs is gonna be the one. Um, <laughs> and so they go to meet up with their friend Eddie, who was in love with uh, he was in love with Harriet, like uh, they were gonna get married. But he meets her sister Queenie and falls in love with her, and um, uh, Queenie and Harriet kind of have this uh, dynamic between them where um uh harriet kind of accepts that queenie is the more conventionally attractive one but she's like but i have the brains so they have that dynamic between them where they've kind of accepted their roles uh or what they what they think are their roles um but uh queenie is also being courted by uh jack warner who's kind of a member of the uh, New York High Society, which is, I, I mean, I know that there's definitely still, like, the New York elite, but it feels like we don't really have kind of that same level of, uh, like, aristocrats walking around. <laughs> like, yeah, there uh, are taxes Gacklinger now. Felt like. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> unless you're in succession, they're not, yeah, they're not, know, not walking I mean, around anymore.
1: <laughs> in theory, yeah. there are taxes, I guess I should say. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, But... Yeah, so it's it's basically about this this these sisters trying to find success um, and dealing with the uh, sort of love triangle that's happening. It's more of like a love parallelogram <laughs> because <laughs> there's four people involved. Uh, it's all it's all very complicated, but I, I thought that it was a lot of fun. I as far as my experience with it, um, this was my first time watching it. I actually hadn't seen any of these movies prior to. Um, prior to being invited onto the show. Um, but I, I thought it was pretty fun. I, I had a good time with it, uh, all things considered. Um, I did think that this was, uh, you know, you talked about having to really strain to hear um, the the sound in, in some of them. I think that this was definitely the one that I had the most difficulty with in terms of um, really, like, being able to hear it, which, you know, maybe I would have enjoyed it more <laughs> if I could have, really heard the dialogue um but i thought it was interesting i thought that a lot of the acting um was maybe a little dated but the characterization i thought was still very relevant um both of the dudes are complete scumbags (laughs) Um, i mean that's just the fact of most films from the world
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely scum but i mean basically every film before 1940 you can just assume yeah
2: yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's a that's a reasonable assumption, I think. Um, but I also thought that the movie went pretty quick. Like I thought that it had pretty solid pacing, um, considering they were still getting used to taking full advantage of the medium. Um, it was interesting to see that it had so quickly taken advantage of it.
0: Interesting, um, Mar- Marissa. What are, what are your thoughts on the on the film and your
1: relationship with it? Uh, have you seen had you seen it before? Absolutely. Um, for that musical paper that I did a decade ago. Um, cause when I was like researching what movies am I going to watch to <clears throat> talk about musicals in classical Hollywood period, um, and the classical Hollywood period begins with sound. Um, I was like, well, I, I certainly must see the, the first musical to win an Oscar. Um, so yeah, I watched it then and I think I saw it early enough that I wasn't like frustrated at how many <laughs> musicals I had to see at that point. Um, <laughs> That like I quite liked it, um, but I sort of thought rewatching it for this that it wasn't gonna um, age very well, uh, or, or that I just would I don't know I just thought I would not like it as much. But I was um, I was pretty impressed. I mean I think George is right. There's some issues with the sound, the medium. I mean this is technically. Um, MGM's second sound picture, but they this is the one they actually shot with sound that not they that they didn't like retrofit later mm-hmm. in the way that we all did with like 3D a couple of years ago where like <laughs> you make a movie and then you're like oh that 3D shit is really is really really hit really a hit we gotta we gotta retrofit this um, so this was their first like actual sound picture at MGM because um, Louis B Mayer thought it was gonna be a passing fad but like it it's pretty sophisticated considering like like it's brand new um and it feels like sort of randy in the way that it's like pre-code I there's like i mean the fact that like <laughs> there's so many love affairs going on like <laughs> i think about the jack warner character he wouldn't even be involved in if if this was postcode it would just be like two two sisters and one man whatever which is still the worst thing but um the thing that was like struck me the most about it this time honestly was how influential it is on not just like musical movie musicals for the for the next like forty to fifty years, but also like the 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 like the the medium of film realistically, because mm-hmm. like you know this is one of the first backstage musicals, um, which became the predominant storyline of the musicals up until basically the sixties. I mean, we really don't start getting away from that until we get like you know are are despised gg and like <laughs> um and the sound of music and shit like that so it takes a long time i mean for the lo- most of the, that period it's backstage musical singing in the rain is a back- backstage musical backstage musical by the way i don't know if everybody knows that term is like any musical that is, uh, uh, justifies its it's a, uh, it's musical numbers by being about people who are in show business, so that they could just be like, "Oh, they're singing now because they're practicing." Um, <laughs> it's
2: gen- it, it genuinely, I, I totally accept it because yeah. I was in the theater program. Yeah, I was going <laughs> <say. Genuinely,
1: laughs>
2: to <genuinely> just <laughs> sing it out totally. whenever.
0: <laughs> we all know theater kids. <laughs>
1: exactly. I was not a theater kid, but I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Great. Let's. I don't. I don't need a justification. We can sing anytime. I was um, friends
0: with all the theater kids, and I am so used to just saying, "You're so talented." That it's yeah. like it's okay. just what our lives are like, basically. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But like, even if you take take it out of like the the musical stuff, like the way that these songs are used over and over and over again in MGM musicals, which is something they just did, like. I don't know. There are things in it that I was like, "Oh, this is totally something we still we see later." Like their uncle that they, who's kind of their like, I don't know, benefactor slash, uh, I guess like agent, if you will. He is fully just like, like I have to wonder, like, is Porky Pig just a, a the the cartoon personification of the trope that this guy starts, this sort of stuttery, you know, huh. guy like comedy dude. I I feel like it must be because like those cartoons were all based on pop culture of the time that like now we just don't know, but yeah. people then would have known. And then like the Queenie and Harry, that new Harry Potter series, which sucks balls, is like literally just the Queenie here. Like I don't I like this movie is too old for copyright infringement infringement, but they would absolutely <laughs> have grounds to sue because it's the exact same character. It's like wild to me, um, and like even the trope of um, that George referred to of like. You know, there's there's the woman who is conventionally beautiful and like everybody loves her who will absolutely end up, you know, with someone. And then there's like the other gal who's like really just going to have to find fulfillment from like work being a dancer. (laughs) And everybody calls her Hank because she's like deeply desexualized. And like, like, I I don't know, I watched Frozen 2 the other day and I was like, listen, the trope is still there. Those (laughs) women still exist. (laughs) <laughs> like, let it go is truly the same thing as that cold cream scene that Hank does when she's crying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Damn. Where's the lie? Where's the lie? There you go. It's
0: so funny, too, because I think both those women look the exact same from yes. this movie. And
2: it's just like... Yeah, definitely. It's I like, was like, I bought that they were sisters.
0: Yeah, I just like...
1: You feel, like, gaslit by the movie. It's like, wait a minute, they look the exact same. <laughs> it's like the deep-seated misogyny of the time that they're like, these two are definitely different and one is more desirable. And today we're just like, I mean, they both seem great. <laughs> yeah, they both <laughs> seem
0: fine. They're, they're talented. Yeah. They're so talented. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I. just the difference
2: in height was the only <laughs> truly <the only laughs> <It's> really... <laughs> god She's oh, like
1: i can't attest to you know it's a, it's an obstacle <laughs> <laughs>
2: um
0: my my relationship with this movie um is interesting because i did watch it because i had watched all the best picture nominees best picture winners before but um it's funny because i realized after like 5 minutes into the movie that i can infuse this with grand hotel And I was just like, oh, this is a different movie than I remembered it being. And I – so it was almost like watching it for a first time again because, like, I truly did not remember any of the story details. And I was impressed by how, like, fun it is. Like, it's like I I was genuinely having a really good time. Um, I think – and we can talk about this. Like, you can feel – how much of a technical achievement it was for the moment even if like obviously as we had all discussed like it's hard to hear some of the sounds and um even like one sequence was filmed in technicolor but was like lost (laughs) so um like this you can't quite watch it and be as impressed with it as people were at the time but you can still like understand through the language of the film like what is meant to be impressive, and I think it comes off pretty well. Um, and I just think it's, like, it's just charming. I don't know. Like, I, I was genuinely... I, it was the last of the Best Picture nominees that I had watched, and I I do wonder if that played a part in... Because, I, just, like, some of these movies are truly rough. But um, by the end of it, I was like, no, this is, a, this is a very, very fun film, I think, and I am shocked at how well it's held up. I, like... I I didn't find any of the songs particularly interesting. Like I, want, I definitely want to th- flip, flip that back to you because I cannot connect to any of these songs whatsoever. But I still found it charming. Did did I either of you like any of the songs? I'm I'm curious.
2: <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm in a pretty similar boat where I didn't really love any of the songs, or like I didn't. I certainly didn't find myself humming any of them later. But <laughs> I definitely was able to kind of soak it in and be like, wow, this is pretty crazy that they're able to do these big song and dance numbers mm-hmm. and like, and have it recorded on film forever to show to everyone. I was like, we, we don't think about it anymore because it's so just surrounds us all the time. But this is a, a crazy achievement that they did. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as someone who loves, musicals and doesn't get to see them as much as I'd like, you know, movie musicals are a great second thing. And, uh, you know, I think it's awesome that, that it was, uh, recognized in this way. Um, I think that even though the musical numbers are not spectacular and maybe aren't quite as over the top and, uh, you know, musically (laughs) as a lot of musicals are now, but, um, yeah, I still think that it has kind of that grandiosity um, that, like, as, as like a seed. There's a nugget of it mm. in these songs.
1: Yeah, I mean, you have to like. This is, I think, this is true of all the films that we're going to talk about this year. But <sighs> that, you have to almost do. You can't watch any of them without doing a little bit of research because mm-hmm. you have to understand where they like play into film history and like just what 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 it would have been like to watch them then because now they just won't seem as cool because we have, like, you know, a CGI. Like you can make up anything in the whole world now. Um, <clears throat> but, like, the thing about the songs here is that they all come back repeatedly throughout MGM's uh, musical work. Like, Broadway Melody, they, they make m- multiple Broadway Melodies, but they put it in many of their films. I mean, they put it in in the big medley, the sort of dream sequence medley and, and singing in the rain, I think, because they're referring back to their, their, um, their film history, but also like these songs, it's not like now where like you hear a song in one movie and then that's, that's what you do. But this, this back then they would have just reused songs for 30, for 30 years straight, like <laughs> just over and over again. Um, and it's like for someone who like watched a bunch of them beforehand, um, and then, watch this it's interesting to hear the way that like music phrasing has changed like if you listen to broadway melody the way he he sings it here it's sort of stilted there's like um that like your trouble's there and then he pauses da 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 it's like Every couple words it's sung, but when you hear later iterations, they just sing it straight like we would now. Just you just go through the whole line, you know, like <laughs> pause every couple seconds. But like that's the way things would have been phrased then on on radio or I mean, radio wasn't as quite as big yet. But like um, on like radio or or in records that you would buy, anything like that. So it's like I, like particularly the songs that repeat later, like Give My Regards to Broadway, shows up again many times. Um, you Were Meant for Me, I think, uh, pl- It comes back a couple times. And these are all written by, like, um, Nasia Horb Brown and, and Arthur Freed. Arthur Freed being the big musical producer at MGM. I mean, this is, like, his first one, obviously. But eventually he becomes the person who makes these things. But, like, all of these things that come back, like, they – it's all planted here. They bring them back because people saw this movie because it made $4 million, which, like, th- then was, like, insane. <laughs> <laughs> like, fucking sure. – fucking endgame money. (laughs) Um, I I I wonder if the
0: fans of that movie were as annoying as the endgame
1: fans. I (laughs) highly doubt. doubt. Um, But yeah, like it all comes back. So like listening to this within the context of, of the way musicals evolve in the next like 50 years is really interesting because like everything that gets set up here is definitely used like later over and over and over again. That's
0: interesting. Um, I, I I do find it very interesting that there were multiple protean melodies, and like the other ones, never quite figured into the Oscar conversation. I think that's something that we still see quite a bit of, where it's like this one film that comes out and it's such a major technical achievement um, on multiple levels. Cool. The ones that that follow, like that 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 are made as a result, don't get the same same respect because they're not breaking new ground or something like that it's it's an interesting trend and that actually um is part of one of my major bullet points with this film that i want us to discuss of just like the trope of the technical achievement as a best picture winner like it's something that we've seen quite a bit throughout oscar history most recently it didn't win but most recently like you have like avatar which was so close to winning best picture because it was just like this monumental achievement even if people like turned on it incredibly quickly it was this thing that everybody went to go
2: see um and Not i mean me. i haven't seen it
0: <laughs> you really
1: yeah <laughs>
2: wow <laughs> i i you know everyone was like you gotta see it in theaters and then i didn't and now i'm like well who cares now
1: i mean it'll come back whenever they finally release the 45 others they've made yeah <laughs> sure. yeah um, okay. First of all, you should see Avatar. It's a good movie. It's fine. It's fine. Um, It's totally fine.
0: (laughs) James Cameron knows what he's doing. It's fine, but um,
2: I can't deny that.
0: But um, it just like I'm wondering what we think the next Broadway melody or next Avatar could be. Like, what is the next technical achievement that we're looking for that could just like rock the industry? Is there anything left? Like, what what are we? What are we looking for, do you think?
2: <laughs> I, I think it's got to be a 3D thing. I don't think that Avatar was it, even though I know it was big for 3D. But I think that's someone who like breaks there's, – there's a tipping point with it, I think. Um, because the 3D's whole thing is like – it's purely a gimmick <laughs> to me. Like I, I – the first person who can make it feel like it's a necessary part of the movie, I think, um, that that's something that would be – perhaps recognizable in this way
0: it's interesting because like the common idea that like 3d is a gimmick which i don't disagree with because especially as marissa mentioned before like once we had one 3d hit everything was retrofitted to be a 3d film for like five plus years um and like it is just funny how you know i obviously can't quite put myself in the Viewer, like in the position of a viewer in 1929 watching the Broadway Melody, um, like maybe thinking sound is a gimmick, but like there's something different, I think, about the way something like the Broadway Melody does sound where they like they make it an integral part of the story, but like it doesn't necessarily rely on it. Like it's not like it's, I mean, like you need this, you need the sound to make the movie work because it's a musical, but like there's a lot. Other things going on beyond just like the musical numbers like it is this movie that is um has charming characters it's like it's an all-around well-done film and um i agree like i'm trying to think i don't know if we ever had that with 3d and like what it would take for 3d to become not like not a gimmick essentially
1: i think we've kind of talked about it honestly it's it's the the high frame rate 3d If you can find a film that makes it integral to make it say to people, to make, like, you know, like we posited in, in, um, I don't actually know if we recorded that or if we talked (laughs) about it now that I'm saying it, but, um, (laughs) like, if you can make, um, a film like, if they were to make a mission impossible in high frame rate, like you and I talked about, like, that would, I would absolutely be something you'd have to see because it would be like wow we're going to watch Tom Cruise like legit die on screen like this is thrilling. <laughs> so like I I think it's if someone can figure out how to use that cuz like I mean I think I said I, again I can't remember if we recorded it or it was off mic. Um like right now high frame rate is in the in the sound the early sound era of mm-hmm. of its innovation where like people are still trying to figure it out. I think the closest anyone has come to making 3D integral is Ang Lee, actually with with Life of Pi. I mean like yeah. I I wept every time that trailer came on. Um, it was just was it? the spectacle was just too much. I couldn't <laughs> handle it. Um, and like uh, Billy Lynn is interesting if ultimately a bit of a failure because of the the content. Um, mm-hmm. Like I I to this day I will defend that movie being like. An experience because it was like wow I feel like I'm in the room with Kristen Stewart which is what I've always wanted from cinema, but like (laughs) it's what Charlie Charlie's Angels needed that. (laughs) So I've seen Charlie's Angels twice, yeah, exactly. So like it's I think if somebody can figure it out then then we're gonna get there, but I just don't know how close we are. I mean maybe James Cameron will come in and push it forward like you know like he did with Avatar or something. I don't think he's doing that in High Frame Rate, but it would be interesting if he did. Is all I'm saying.
0: He was like there was like talk he was going to, but now he's saying he's not, and it's just like it's like oh like when we see Avatar two through forty five, like whenever that happens, when I'm like an I bet you Avatar man,
1: sixteen will have
0: a <laughs> <bar>. <laughs> whenever they come out. I don't know. <laughs> At this point, I won't believe those movies exist until I'm literally halfway through watching one. Um, Even then, you're like, eh, they can still pull the wall out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They just stop the movie and they're just like, we're sorry, it's not finished.
1: That's it. we only had a billion dollars.
0: (laughs) And he's like, haha, I got you. (laughs) God. I I just find it so interesting of like how – like what is considered a technical achievement has changed so much and how like – 3d had its moment and i remember seeing avatar in 3d and being impressed by it i life of pi was an experience in 3d and um also gravity i think but like oh shit yeah yeah like it is true though like those are like the only movies i think i've willingly paid to see in 3d everything else i've seen in 3d have been things that like it was the only screening they had at a given time and like i i hate 3d so it's like i don't know it, yeah, it's especially as like,
2: someone who wears glasses like it's always oh, such yeah. a hassle
0: that's interesting. I I I don't have glasses. I never thought of that that way. <laughs> um, yeah. It's,
2: it's really an issue. Um it, it definitely prevents me from going to see as many three D movies as I'd like because I like some of these things where like people are like, Oh yeah, go see Gravity in three D. I'm like, I it's such it's so annoying to me that it just prevents me from going in the first place.
1: Yeah.
2: Um so
1: it is a little ableist its in its sort of construction. And yeah, it fucking sucks. I have the same problem. And, like, for me, the I would only bother to do it, for the most part, like, A, unless it was, like, a an A-list type of thing where I could get away with just going and it was the best time and I didn't have to pay any extra. Because it's, like, you know, in New York City, it's, like, $25 for a mm-hmm. 3D film. Um, sure, it's crazy. Well, it's fucking nuts. Um, but, like, mostly the the – I'll only make a like, effort to go if it's um, m- filmed for 3D, not not a post-conversion because mm-hmm. the post-conversions just aren't as good. Um but like even then, it sort of you know depends. Like, I saw that first Hobbit in in the high frame rate 3D, and then never saw <laughs> one of them like that again because it looked like garbage.
0: I still remember Clash of the Titans 3D, the first like major oh, 3D post conversion, and just be, it was like the worst film I've ever paid to see. I think <laughs> like truly, um, no, at, at least sound worked out. At least um, they, that wasn't just a gimmick. Um, one more thing with Road to Melody that I find very interesting. It's one of the only three films to win Best Picture and nothing else, because as we established, every film just won one award. And um, I find that so interesting that a movie could get the biggest award, which today is associated with this idea of like <coughs> um, the movie that defines the year and like usually wins a few other awards. Um, do we think that could ever happen again? And like, what would it take to to get that to be like the one, like had that be the one prize you take home.
1: I actually think we're kind of moving toward a possibility of that because of the, a, the giant best picture, um, category. And also the diversification of the, the Academy realistically. Mm-hmm. Cause like, we're almost seeing that now a little bit, like in the last few years, there have been, there has been a slow movement of like, look, like every best picture nominee winning at least one award that wouldn't have happened. But as you widen who can vote and what they're voting for, I think it's just inevitable that like the diversity of voices is going to eventually really split things, which is, I think is great. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, I don't think we're, who knows if we'll ever make it to like purely one, 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 every uh, one film when only one, only, only one award for any film. But I don't know. I think we're kind of approaching that. And it's, it's slowly happening.
0: I'd love it. I, I weirdly could see it happening this year of all years, where it's like as we discussed in our other podcasts um series, Marissa, like um it seems like there's no real frontrunner and there's so many film like each category has like its front runner or like two people who are like really far ahead um but like picture it's really anyone's game and i really feel like in this sort of year when there's no real narrative about best picture it's like it could just be the passion vote and i mean like listen maybe i'm just projecting it of my hopes up but a part of me is like it's parasites year baby it's just like no (laughs) film excites people so much
2: um that was gonna be the one i would suggest honestly is parasite um I I think it's possible. I think it's getting, it's definitely a critical darling. I think it's getting kind of the public uh, share of voice that it would need to um, kind of get the push. And, um, you know, I I think that the Academy might be like, all right, let's put up uh, this movie that isn't an American movie, you know, from a foreign market. Um, Let's put it up for one. category but nothing else like Mm -hmm. like we don't we're still too xenophobic for that um and uh and kind of rewarding it in that way but um i i I think that it could happen with parasite so i am fully behind you matt well now
0: my hopes are up and also we need to make sure this episode goes live before the oscars and joker wins this picture and we're all upset so um on that note, do we have any last thoughts on Broadway Melody, or... Nope. All right. Let's move on to the other musical film from the year, um, The Hollywood Review, which I think is a fascinatingly weird fucking movie to, to talk about. Um, it is part of one of the big trends of the 19, of 1929, which is the musical review. Um, different studios would have their contract stars get together, and put on like a talent show basically (laughs) of um just like singing and dancing and scenes from plays and things like that um i will say the other studios because hollywood uses mgms um the other studios had better names (laughs) um there's the fox movie the fox movie tone follies and paramount on parade which are both much better titles but i agree it's fine um it's a it's fine it does the but this one was hosted by Jack Benny and Academy founder Conrad Nagel, which, you know, suspicious that it gets Best Picture, no- a Best Picture nomination with that. But
1: I don't know. I'm not yeah, there's a lot of talk about that afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <it's> like, <laughs> Everybody was like, oh, really? All of the winners are from the um, original 36 charter members of the Academy? OK. Collusion. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a little in- – it's, it's interesting. It's something
0: to take note of. But mm-hmm. – um, Yeah. I'm just going to throw it to
1: you, Marissa. What what are your thoughts on this movie? What's your relationship with it? Um, This is the first time I watched it. Um, I didn't happen to watch it back then because I was probably like, listen, I got to cover 50 years here. I don't have time for two (laughs) movies from the same year. (laughs) Um, But the thing about this one is like, I think maybe this one is possibly, I mean, I could say this about all of them realistically, but this one might be the one that needs the most research before you watch it or like, To understand its context. Because you've already mentioned, like, yeah, every studio did this as a technical, um, technical showcase after sound became a thing. Um, And they also did it to, like, realistically, they're seeing which of their stars are going to make it make the transition from silent to sound because not everybody did. I mean, like. We're going to talk about her a little later, but, like, Mary Pickford barely makes it through <laughs> and then, like, retires four years from now at the, like, young age of, like, 35, I'm sure. So, like, it's 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 sort of a product of the time period and of, of the, the thing. I mean, this is, like, their version of all the post-conversion 3D, realistically. Mm. Um, but it it's, like... You also have to think about it in, like, the way that, like, the audience would have been watching it, not just as a technical showcase, but as – this is the the major form of entertainment that they would have seen realistically. Because, like, vaudeville shows um, would have been touring for years by this point, m- most of the century. Um, so, like, this is the kind of entertainment that they would – people would be used to consuming, but typically wouldn't have the money to necessarily go to, especially um, – right after I mean this the the awards happen like six months after the market crashes so like nobody has any money Mm -hmm. um but this is the kind of spectacle people would have people would have paid to see and maybe would have been able to afford or wouldn't have lived in a city large enough to go see um so like the structure of it where it's just like act, act 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 different like none of them seem connected I mean they aren't connected they're just like it's a comedy act and then there's like a a dancer and then there's like a singer and then there's like you know some big um big number where women are are just like posed a, into into a giant chandelier like it <laughs> happens all <laughs> the time in film <laughs> not the only time in an MGM film realistically um so like this is the kind of folly act they would have been used to and like now it seems like it's a lot like it's two hours and like you wouldn't feel you wouldn't It's not – you feel that two hours, let's say, because it's just, like, one thing after another after another. And, like, for the first hour and a half, maybe, it's, like, fine. But, you know, by the end, you're like, okay, we got it. And some of these acts aren't as good as the others. But it didn't need to be because people also watched movies differently then. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, realistically, the film that makes Psycho – or that makes us show up at the beginning of the film and watch it all the way through and then leave is Psycho because – they marketed it as this thing, like, you can't show up halfway through or whatever, which sounds weird now, but that's the way people used to watch film. They would walk in any time. They paid a nickel or whatever. They'd walk in any They'd sit um, from whenever they start the movie, and then as soon as they caught up to where they were, because they would just pay, play the same movie and over and over and over again and, like, be able to stay, you would just leave when you caught up to where you came in. So, like, this would be a perfect film for that. You could do other shit. You could, like, walk out, get a popcorn, come back in, walk out. P or whatever and like if you missed a couple acts whatever you can just sit around or come back later and just see it again so like watching it the way we are now where we're just like sitting down to watch it and watch it without really any distractions on a tiny screen that wouldn't recreate the, the the experience of watching it as a follies is not ideal so you almost have to like this is almost one that you have to watch as not a film but as a like historical document to really understand and like appreciate anything about it i would say
0: yeah i um i completely agree but before i get into it um
2: george what are your thoughts on hollywood review uh it's not my bag (laughs) um i mean look i fully can appreciate the historical context of it um but you know at, at some point My own bias just overtakes it, and I'm not really into reviews to begin with. And a lot of these acts are not really to my taste. Um, So a review of stuff that I don't like for two um, hours—it's a lot. It's a lot for sure. And uh, you know, that's not to say that uh, the entire that there's like nothing of value in it. I definitely thought there were a couple of acts that worked. Um, I thought Lon Chaney's going to get you was fun. Um uh, singing in the rain, uh, you see it in this movie as well as, as the, the movie that it is the title of. Um, and you know, it's not hard to see why people love that movie. It's, it, it's a great song and this performance of it is great. It's great in the actual movie. Um, and you know, it's hard to go wrong with that. And I thought the Romeo and Juliet balcony scene was pretty solid. Um, I thought mm-hmm. it was funny. I chuckled a couple times. I thought I think Matt, you liked that scene as well, right? Yeah, that was like
0: one of the highlights for me. I think it like it's it is genuinely charming and still holds up as like a piece of comedy, basically. Yeah, yeah, I agree.
2: Um, um, but yeah, just overall, uh, it wasn't it wasn't for me. Is, is all I'll say. I think that's fair i i I cannot imagine
0: like as marissa you said like it's it needs to be viewed as a historical document like it can Mm -hmm. like it is something that i truly think if you were to like show it to anybody even someone who like truly has like this insane passion for musicals they kind of be like what is this (laughs) after like after (laughs) a a little bit and (laughs) i was very thankful to be watching it at home where i could like pause it and get up and do other things like it's a two-hour movie but it took me maybe like a full night to watch because I was just like, all right, I need to get up and like talk to somebody and do something else because it is, um, it's a lot, but it, it it's fascinating. And I, yeah, like, I truly found it interesting as this cultural document of just like, all these big stars, many of whom are still talked about on some level today. Whether Joan being, Crawford. Yeah, who looks truly dead inside during her musical number, I was going to mention. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: because you also have to remember they're filming this from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So it's probably like 2 in the morning and she's like just gotten off some other movie that she had to film all day. She's probably like, I want to go the fuck home. And, but she has no power to like, you know, throw shit around. <laughs> It is it is
0: so funny to see her in this because it is just like it is truly in, especially in what we know about her today mm-hmm. and everything and what like her like persona is and the movies she became known for It's just like truly I've never seen someone look deader inside on a on while well, trying to have fun. Um, it doesn't
1: look into her past though because she was in her early career a dancer mostly and like a singer and then she became a dramatic actress which is fascinating.
0: And we're all better off for it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my god! Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> what are some other musical numbers that we all um, either enjoyed or truly were itching to skip over? If um, we, we can, we can talk about them both. I know personally the one that I actually paused it twice to get up because it ju- it just it, nev- <laughs> it never ended. Um, <laughs> was for I'm the Queen by oh, Mary man. Dressler, That's pretty bad. which was the longest song of my life and it I like I got I paused it after like a minute got up and got a water bottle and then like finished the water bottle before it ended and, like, <laughs> and I had to get up again because I was just like what is what is this painful moments from that I'm being forced to sit through but
1: it, this is the thing about review films like this is thankfully not my first one. So like the first time I watched a review film I was like, I'm gonna slit my wrist. This is terrible. <laughs> like, when can I get out of here? But like, the, the way you almost have to look at them is like, all right, the rest of it's kind of boring. So like, I was legit eating dinner and like online shopping for a lot of it. <laughs> um, but then you pay attention for the ones that you really like, which is truly what they would have done back in the day. So, like, you know, the Buster Keaton number, I was like, I love Buster Keaton. So I was like, great. Buster Keaton's coming out of a clam show. Fantastic. I'll watch this. <laughs> and, like, you know, I'll watch the Joan number. But that's, everything else is a little, like, that guy with the high-pitched voice and the the um, violin, I, like, I wanted him to get blasted off the screen every time he was on. When he did that high pitch shit, I was, like, so ready to end it. But he was, like, constantly <laughs> in it. And like clearly, that's something people enjoyed then because he wouldn't have shown up so much otherwise. But mm-hmm. God, he was the worst. It wasn't great. No. <laughs>
0: um, I will say to end mm-hmm. on a positive note, I re- we mentioned the the wonderful Romeo and Juliet moment that I like quite a bit, oh, and boy. then um, there was one other which I'm trying to find now. On the oh, um, I never knew I could do a thing like that by Bessie Love. I thought it was very fun. <laughs> um. But that you love also of uh, of Broadway melody. Yeah, we stand. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's uh, that's about it. I want to talk though about just like a, a fun thing to think about. Like the closest we have um, to like today to this is like I think like um, charity events, almost like a <laughs> like a Red Nose Day sort of thing, or like
1: absolutely,
0: yeah, or even like something like I don't know, like nailed it where it's like uh there's like a point for all these celebrities to show up and like but it's meant more as like a a joke sort of
2: thing Uh, (laughs) it reminds me of um i don't know if you watched on netflix the michael bolton's big sexy valentine's day special yeah that's a good one um yeah it's a lot of fun and it's very much like um sort of narrative skits that are just like just celebrity and like Uh, like, comedian celebrity (laughs) Uh, um, people, like, inserted into these skits to be like, hey, look who it is. Um, And it, like, it has, like, the charity show, um, like, narrative is, is, like, how they justify it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's kind of interesting, an interesting modern, uh, maybe, adaptation of this sort of thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, realistic, that's true. Like, any variety show is technically just a, the the evolution of what what starts well i mean would have started in vaudeville and would have been translated to film here and then just kept you know mostly on tv after that i I bet you that i haven't watched it yet but that casey musgraves christmas special i'm sure is exactly like this yeah that's probably true um there is another one too oh um we we (laughs) actually we
0: don't know what it's like yet but john mulaney has his thing coming around christmas Mm -hmm. that's like a uh, variety show sort of thing with kids, and i i, I guess like this still exists oh. in some regards. But, the Bill um,
2: Murray one came out too. Yeah. That was very similar. Yes,
0: that's what I was. Th- I was like, there was someone like with—I think Sophia Coppola did it, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. 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 Um Wow, I never watched that stuff. Um, it was fine. Cute. Yeah. 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 Um, if this was to exist on like a bigger stage today, like if—if if, I don't know. A24 decided they were going to do the A24 review or something like that. Like, is there any sort of, like, like, is there any way to make you interested in something like this, again, on, like, a a blockbuster level?
2: Yes, I think think exactly what you said. A24. (laughs) Give me these, like, weirdo stars doing just, like, Nirvana covers and stuff.
1: (laughs) Five minutes of just... someone like Michael Shannon do like a tap number or whatever. He's weird enough that like, I don't know. (laughs) I feel like he might have a weird skill that we're not. That would be great. He absolutely tap dances. I I never, I have no way (laughs) of knowing that, but he absolutely does. Like deep in my heart. I know that he does. Or like, honestly, I would, I would love, um, frankly there's such a large stable of stars that it would be very interesting and the it's the closest thing to a studio system that you have at this point because i mean the reason we don't have this anymore or you know stable of stars like this anymore is because you know they, they just abuse the shit out of them um but like if you could get the mcu guys to just like fuck around a little bit and like you know there'd be comedy acts i'm sure you'd have you know like tony stark hosted i mean maybe you could do I don't know if you would want to do like Robert Downey Jr. You want to have them play their characters and then all of a sudden they do like a song and dance number. I'd be available for that because like Scarlett jo- Johansson can sing. She can. I'm pretty sure Chris Evans can sing. A lot of those fuckers can sing and probably dance. I'd be, away- I'd be down for it because also it would help diversify their careers because people yeah. probably don't let, know they can do these things.
2: Let Mark Ruffalo do like a dramatic Shakespeare reading.
1: Oh, Please. I'd 100% be interested in that.
2: Brie Larson can sing
0: like I think we have a yes. pitch here we have a pitch here <laughs> um and I will just say I've listened to a lot of the Glee Mind podcast and Leia Michelle's Christmas album just dropped and Leia Michelle <laughs> would be available for any review no matter what so it's like
1: I think we should bring it back for that just- I would love for her to show up and like do a meta thing where she like pushes Brie Larson off of the stage oh <laughs>
0: god i don't know
1: we,
0: Leia michelle needs to bring the hollywood review back because it's the only thing that can save her career at this point um oh god that's that's the leah michelle corner for today um <laughs> let's move on to a very different sort of film um <laughs> the one that i truly have the hardest time talking about but it's interesting and one of the better ones i think from this this year alibi um it's a gangster film which became a really big deal in the era of sound. Um people were just like excited by it. You could hear gunshots and cars and things like that. I don't know. <laughs> um, and um this one follows the daughter of a police sergeant who secretly marries a gangster who she thinks is reformed, but it turns out he's not and it's this whole big criminal conspiracy. Um and it starred Chester Morris at, who is a Broadway actor who became a movie star because of this. Um uh this is my first time watching this one. I had I so I watched like some gangster movies like in a class I took in college, but um like 1920s gangster movies and I thought I had seen this one, but I didn't. And I actually was like re- impressed by it on some levels. It has like this really intense melodrama to it that I find fascinating and the the sound design on the the version I was watching is truly horrid where it's like I had <laughs> the volume on full blast and I could still barely make it out. So I put um the closed captions on and I'm 90% sure some of them are wrong. <laughs> but um it's still very easy to follow the plot because I just think it's communicated in such a big broad way that totally
1: works for the tone and it is um it's- well, it was originally shot in silent and then they reshot it for for sound. So a lot of that is probably just like, you know, they they were used to shooting in silence so yeah. they, they had to make some
2: big choices it was already also a stage production as well so i'm sure there was probably some remnants of that in the yeah. way that it was uh blocked out as well
0: yeah exactly it's like it, it it works on multiple levels and i was really impressed by it um george what what do you what's your relationship with this movie what, what do you think of it
2: Yeah, i really kind of enjoyed it i thought it was pretty fun um it has, I think, a really complex story that I find pretty interesting. Uh, and I think it would fit right in with today's, you know, movies. It's uh, kind of all cops are bastards, the movies. <laughs> Your letterbox
0: review made me laugh out loud. <laughs> I,
2: I will say. <laughs> um, yes, that was plagiarizing myself. I do apologize. <laughs> but. Um, it's it's fun and and i think kind of getting to see that moral complexity um in the way that the cops were depicted genuinely shocked me i like wasn't expecting that from this time period um
1: and they're only only allowed to do that because it's pre-code because like after the code is in in enacted that you can't see the um the like the law losing basically so that's the only reason they get away with it realistically
2: yeah, yeah, well, uh, it it's I was psyched to see it because I thought yeah. it, was, it, was, it was fun. Um, I think that, like I said, it's it's very noticeable that it's originally a stage production, but I don't think that it's to its um, detriment. I think that it still works very well. Um, and I think that a lot of the performances are pretty fun. So, yeah, this one definitely worked for me.
1: Marissa, how about you? Uh, yeah, I was impressed by it. Like, for all the reasons... Um, uh, George just said um, how how obviously pre-coded it is. I mean, realistically, the the sort of shotgun marriage kind of thing is really shocking for that time period as well, because like you absolutely would not see that later. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, the the morality of it is fascinating. But I was also really impressed by like um, how beautifully it's shot. The cinematography is like very interesting in it. It almost feels like like Hollywood doing German expressionism, where mm-hmm. there's that there's just wild shots all throughout it that like back then the camera, I mean, this is later in the sound or the, the, uh, the silent period. So like the camera's getting more dynamic and smaller, but like considering the, um, the camera for a sound film would have been in a like glass box that would protect it. Cause it was, and it would be massive and it wouldn't be able to move anywhere. The, the shot choices are really dynamic and really interesting throughout it. Um, in a way that I'd like, I don't think any of the other films involved are have like there's the shot with like um, the scene where they're, they're telling um, a criminal basically to try to get him to talk like uh, you know uh, we're going to make it look like you tried to escape and we're going to kill you if you don't tell us basically. And there's that like guy behind the glass window so you can see that he has no way out. I mean like you just wouldn't see that for the most part and the just the visual language is so sophisticated in this and i didn't expect it and like the the story is generally genuinely interesting too which you know it's not always true at this point in history <laughs> so yeah i was impressed by it
0: yeah that scene the um the interrogation room scene is so incredibly staged like the the visuals are really wonderful um the opening scenes too i just where it's like mostly just sound are very hypnotic and arresting um i don't know i I, I was really impressed by this one. The more we talk about it, the more I I kind of like it. Um, the, do we feel its influence on the gangster genre as a whole? Like, how do you think um, it played a part in, like, what? how have you gangster movies today, if at all?
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I, I admit I'm not, like, I'm not as well-schooled in gangster pictures as I am musical, so I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, kind of in the same boat, uh, pretty much. My gangster uh, uh, movies are limited to like Scorsese and the Coen Brothers, (laughs) (laughs) so. um, But you know, I think even in that kind of having these uh, elevated characters, um, is still very much something that you see in the genre, and uh, and I think a lot of the sort of like posturing. Uh, like the puffery of these gangsters is something that you see even here. Um, So I think that even with my limited scope, I think it is still visible um, where some of this stuff comes from.
0: Yeah. I um, was reminded a lot of like the pulpier side of gangster movies, like De Palma, maybe where he like, like um, the somewhat Scarface, but more so the untouchables and everything, like um, just like the, the, very melodramatic type of gangster films. And I, I, I like that a lot. I just think this this movie is really interesting. I don't know. Um, but not much to talk about with it. So let's move on to um, In Old Arizona. Actually, no, we'll come back to In Old Arizona because we can transition right to acting from there. Um, let's talk about the one that was lost the time, um, The Patriot, directed by Ernst um I'm gonna fuck up Blue his name. Bitch. Yeah, thank you. It's like the most famous fucking name from old Hollywood, and I'm just like, <laughs> Ugh. Um, starring Emil Jannings. Um, it's the story of um, the Emperor Paul the First of Russia. It, it and there was um, it, it's lost the time essentially. That's like the main thing. There's like no existing full print of it. There's different bits of footage. You can see the trailer on YouTube, which um, I watched before getting ready to record this, and it looks phenomenal i think <laughs> like yeah. I, maybe it's like the fact that it's this like forbidden fruit or like unavailable fruit <laughs> but i was just like this looks so fucking good and i would give literally anything to watch a version of this film right now um, yeah. well
1: there's that there's that description of it in, in inside oscar i think where it was like um it's a it's technically a tragedy but they but lubich plays it as a sex comedy which like please sign me up for that like yeah. <laughs> like it, give me this 1929 version of the favorite or whatever
0: and like it has just from the footage they show in the trail like you can see that like it has this very unusual weird tone to it that is like somewhat like unsettling almost like it just it looks fascinating like i'm very interested i hope they find some full version of it eventually because i would
1: love to love to see it um yeah We're getting kind of late in the year or, like, you know, in history because, like, the way that they would find these films for the most part, like, you know, someone would find an old reel lying in, like, a farmhouse in Russia or something somewhere where it was, like, cold enough that it would be preserved. So, like, I don't know. That hasn't happened in a long time-ish. So, I mean, that's not necessarily true. They found wings in the last 20 years. But, yeah, I don't know. We we might be running out of old farmhouses.
0: What a shame. It looks – it looks so good. I've been watching the trailer some more. Basically <laughs> watch the trailer enough so I can log in a letter post. Um, uh, George, any, any thoughts on this, on this one or, um, should we move on to the, to the, in old Arizona?
2: No, I, I just think that it is, um, it's a shame. You know, I think that it shows how important archiving is yeah. and, uh, you know, it's not something that's always, uh, appreciated. And I think that, um you know it, it's a tragedy when when we lose art like this you know yeah
0: it's so. something that i really do get like anxiety over with like in this age of streaming and everything like i'm going through not to go off on a personal tangent but like uh i just i have too many movies at my house so i am like making piles of movies that like i'm just going to bring there's like a a store near my office that buys back dvds so i'm just like getting ready to return a bunch of stuff because i just don't have the space anymore and um and some of them are things i bought in high school that i have not watched in 10 to 15 years but um Like, I'm terrified of getting rid of some of these movies because I'm like, what if some of these never, like, make it to streaming and they're just, like, kind of lost? Like, I don't know. Like, like, the chances of that happening are becoming slimmer and slimmer, but you still have these stories. Like, I remember um, Amazon briefly was not going to release um, Todd Haynes' Wonderstruck on any home media. It was just going to go straight to the streaming service. And then there was, like, a bit of, like, a fan uproar Um, so they've released on DV, I think just DVD. I think they've ever done a Blu-ray release and I hated that movie, but it is the sort of thing where it's like, I would net like, why would we ever want to like, just put it on a streaming service? Like where if Amazon, which will probably never happen, but if Amazon was to somewhat, somehow go down, like where would that film exist? There were similar things about, can you ever forgive me? Where there's a question of like, I think that film has still only been released on DVD, which is like the bare bones, like throw it at like the wolves like here you go and um it just like it scares me because it's like there we don't want to ever get to a point where there are these movies just lost and it's it's something that gives me genuine like existential dread
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm
0: actually,
1: i i wouldn't be surprised if disney stops releasing s- stuff eventually
0: yeah they might like i also go ahead matt oh no like it's something that would help their um, Disney Plus yeah. brand and everything, where it's like you know the Disney Vault was such like a big thing with me growing up that uh, not me personally because I <laughs> I never really liked Disney, <laughs> sorry people, but um like it was like you all you heard about for a long time of like oh like this movie won't be released on VHS and DVD for like ten years or whatever, so mm-hmm. it's like Disney Plus will eventually become the next version of that where it's like you won't be able to watch this anywhere else and it's like I I, I don't like the, again like i don't think disney in the next 30 years will be at risk of like going under but who's who knows where we'll be like who knows what's going to happen and i think i
1: think if they i wouldn't be surprised if they do it to try to to really make just like for shits and giggles you know to but to truly like solidify their monopoly on on film and the the whole industry yeah is to to truly turn like turn the screws on people by saying like this is the only way to get them I mean, I think they're already doing with it with the MCU stuff. Why have they never released a giant box? True, yeah, and it's like that would sell um, so fucking well. It's
0: like,
2: but instead yeah. of just, oh, I've they just—I've been waiting to buy lot it phases. for phases.
1: I don't think it's going to happen anymore.
2: They sell the individual phases, but they yeah they haven't sold like a huge one. Yeah. I think that this it's also um, I think that perhaps it's most noticeable um, in the horror genre. Not to be too on brand here. No, <laughs> please, please, That's <laughs> good insight. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, uh, there's a lot of independent horror movies that, you know, they don't have proper distribution and stuff and they're just pressed to, um, to, to like disc and and everything. And, you know, maybe they don't have the ability to put it on a streaming service or something or, or, you know, they don't have, they don't have the knowledge of it. Um, a lot of these movies do kind of, um, You know, there's there's some of these these movies that are like suburban Sasquatch, where it's it's kind of has like a cult status in um, like B-movie horror circles. But um, it's really, really hard to find a copy of it. And it's not streaming anywhere. Um, It's there was there was only like 5000 copies printed to begin with. Um, And then, you know, I'm sure that it's sitting at, you know, the bottom of someone's garage under 10,000 pounds of junk for half the people. Um, But even for bigger movies than something like Suburban Sasquatch, you know, just look at Friday the 13th, you know, there's the lawsuit going on right now um, about the rights that has basically put um, a moratorium on putting anything out. Um, The rights are completely stopped for, you know, the, all the merchandising and everything, and um, they're not allowed to make anything new. Um, they're not allowed to put out any new um, Blu-rays or DVDs or anything of it. And a lot of those movies are already pretty hard to find because they were out of print for stuff. Like it's difficult to find any of the um, original uh, um, Friday the 13th movies just by themselves because there there was like one Blu-ray um, like collection that was put out. Um, that frankly, in my opinion, the artwork on is terrible. So people don't love it, but it's like the only way to have the Blu-ray collection of, um, of some of these older movies that uh, people love still. Um, you know, Friday the 13th part two is one of my favorite horror movies and, um, it was really difficult. Like I had to do a lot of searching to find a reasonably priced copy of just that movie on Blu-ray. Um, so it's not, it's not unfeasible to me. That some of these movies that, that people love um, could vanish. It, you know, this is not uh, this this is not something that is totally unreasonable to me, and that scares me because mm. you know it's so, something that I'm passionate about is movies, and I would hate to you know see something that people worked so hard on vanish. You know, just kind of to ether of time.
1: Yeah, and and Disney is almost actively making sure that that occurs realistically with. I mean, they got that the the Fox catalog and basically have no longer allowed um, the projection of Fox films for for repertory, which is I mean, you know, it's not a good not good. It's just not good for the for public experience of of art. I mean, they shouldn't have that kind of uh, hold on things. I mean, a friend of mine who's also a big horror fan was like, you know, said, like, buy all the plastic media of of fox horror films that you can now because this is the last time we're probably going to get a good anything from them because disney's going to oh gonna yeah them at the
2: absolutely and it's not it's not just little movies like things like alien you yeah, know exactly that's huge um and you know there's some big anniversaries coming up and it's like well are they going to put it out like it's a huge money-making opportunity for them but you know are they kind of just like squashing that side of their the like the their platform now, um, which is something that I w- I would hate to see be the case, but I don't think is out of the question, which is uh, unfortunate.
0: It's just it's a very scary reality of like I don't know like I I'm always so thankful for the Criterion Channel for multiple reasons of just like it's a great streaming platform, but also like they are taking the time to like truly curate their streaming service, and I just like. You know, I don't have Disney Plus yet. I don't know if I'll ever get it. Like, right now, there's nothing on there that I really have any interest in subscribing for. But, um, like, it, it is something where I, ju- I just see the difference in the content and how it's presented and everything, where it's, like, like, you get those monthly emails from the Criterion channel of all the things that they're posting in the upcoming month. And it's always, like, such an exciting thing to read through because it is so fully curated for, like... Like, we have different brands of, like, this type of movie and this type of movie. Like, we have, like, a whole series of, like, Betty Davis films. We have a whole series of, like, horror films from the 60s. And it's just, like – it. like, they know how to – like, there's a true passion there. And I just, like – you know, it's capitalism. But it's just, like, I, I, I don't see the passion there, like, in what Disney Plus is doing of just, like, taking away things that people like. And then also just being like, here, you like this when you were a kid, have at it. And it's just, it's, de- yeah. it's depressing. I don't know. It's, um,
1: I wouldn't be yeah. surprised too, if Disney started to lock that down as well, because with all of their catalog and, and what are fo- whatever Fox has, like, mm-hmm. because criterion, y- you see this with the musical thing that just happened. Like they rent essentially, you know, the film to be able to stream for a month. It's not in their catalog. They're renting it for a month. Um, and, if Disney really wanted to lock down its control of the market, then it would absolutely stop allowing that.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh God. Uh I think it's great that the criterion channel also does the physical production of some of these, you know, classic Mm -hmm. movies as well, though. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's huge. Um, I mean, I'm sure that this has come across, but I'm a big proponent of physical copies of stuff. (laughs) Um, you know, all my video games and everything, I still buy physical if I can. Um, part of that is just being a collector by nature, but Mm -hmm. also, you know, the archival nature of it as well yeah. um but i just bought that uh that like uh, i think it's 15 godzilla movies from the oh Criteria i can't collection. wait to buy
1: that
2: oh man it's friggin gorgeous and <laughs> like it's these are movies that are so hard to find um you know some of them are basically lost <laughs> except for you know these in, like individual channels like um so I, at one point when I was trying to watch them all actually for the site when I was doing the review of every single Godzilla movie um I literally had to just watch on like archive.org <laughs> like awesome. that was the only place I could find it um so I think it's really it's usually important to you know have somebody working at it like the Criterion Channel is um so good for them <laughs> Yeah I I'm always just everything Criterion does.
0: I'm not, like, I'm not selling back any of my Criterion editions, even, like, ones that I have not watched in literal, like, years because I'm just, like, you know, like, these are, there's such thought put into them and they're such, like, they're, they're so well presented where it's, like, I just, like, I want to collect them. Like you said, it's, like, there's a collector's aspect to it and they're, you know, maybe one day I'll feel the urge to watch some of them again and then other ones, like, my broadcast news Criterion collection, I watch, like, at least once a year. So it's, you know, it's they're worth holding on to. We don't know physical media. We 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 need it. <laughs> um, and if the if anyone wants to restore the Patriot on any at any time, please let me know. I will subscribe to whatever streaming service it it ends up on. Um, let, let's talk about the last best picture nominee and the film that won best actor um, in Old Arizona, the story of the abandoned known as the Cisco Kid who is attempting to outrun a sergeant on his trip on his tail um and the the cisco's cisco kids lover who betrays or try is trying to betray him um pretty wild movie (laughs) um uh marissa what what's your relationship with um in old arizona
1: i watched it for the um for the pod um i wasn't a big fan i mean but this is the one for me that like I was like least interested in because it's a little um, it's, you know, back then sound film, the silent films, Westerns had had been able to go outside. But this is basically all inside because mm-hmm. um, the sound, <laughs> the limitations of the sound camera. Um, so it's a little stodgy. It just feels like a it almost feels like <coughs> when they ad- adapt a um like a stage play but because it's just so in in rooms for the most part even though it's the western so it's and, and like i don't know i i think there's interesting morality going on in it like in the same way that there is an um the alibi or an alibi where <clears throat> the good guy is not really the cop it's the uh, it's the bandit um i do have trouble still with the sort of like um hateful aid of it all where like the most evil person in all of it is the woman yeah and she's the only one who really gets punished um but like you know it's the the deep misogyny of the western <laughs> um but yeah i don't know it's it's fine um it, it this it just felt like the the one that i well i mean there are some other others that i felt the time on the most but i felt the time on this one a lot um but yeah i don't know i, I think the most interesting thing about it is that like the Cisco kid is, is a, is a character that reappears many times. It's a, it's a, like the whole thing is that adapted from a story by O. Henry, but like the Cisco kid became like, you became a feature in Westerns basically throughout, you know, the early, the early Western history as it were, or the sound, sound Westerns. Um, and was like played by different people. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting to think of as like, Where it's placed in film history, but like I just, uh, you know, it just didn't have a lot for me to grab grab onto.
2: George, what about what about you? Uh, Yeah, I'm in a pretty similar boat as Marissa. Um, I'm going to plagiarize myself again and say (laughs) that uh, these these guys put the talk in talkies. Um, (laughs) There wasn't wasn't a lot of action going on for a western movie, and I did not think that. The characters were well-developed enough for uh, it to be just like a character study, you know. I thought that it, it was – it felt very surface level to me. I agree that um, the female character was very bizarrely written. Like this weird turn comes out of nowhere and uh, she's written as this really awful character – like really awful person. Um, yeah, I, I just – it wasn't great. Um uh, you know, I guess that they were working with what they had. Like, I guess the performances are fine of the characters, but you know, it's it's faint praise, I'll say. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the um the the way the female character Maria is written is truly um something to bolt <laughs> Of just like the the last <laughs> the last scene where they she's like killed is just like. I don't know. What like the the final line of the film is Maria's flirting days flirting days are over and she can finally settle down. Just like what a heinous way to end the film. Basically, (laughs) Um, it feels to like it felt like all of her scenes felt to me like an SNL sketch with Cecily Strong. I just kept thinking like this is like (laughs) I love the um, I forgot what they what they're called now, but they have like their all their sketches of like making fun of old Hollywood. Um, They're all they're always oh the Tibet
1: Goldry sketches
0: there's like um with um with keenan thompson is like the host of like the tcm show oh
1: when he does like masterpiece theater typey stuff yeah yes. see what
0: and those are always so so funny and um this like felt like that to me just like she's such like an aggressive like example of the the evil vixen character and it's 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 i was <laughs> as much as you could be with the movie i think um up until her appearance which comes rather late in the film and um and then I was like, I was just like, oh, this is going to be like a rough rest of the watch. And it was. Um, I think, you know, I actually disagree somewhat with you both about like the lack of the Western spectacle, which is, is funny because that's one of my talking, like other questions I wanted to pose. Um, like I found the, t- like, the talky elements of it, like the um, the dialogue driven suspense to be weirdly effective at first. Like I like this scene a lot where both the um, – the Cisco Kid and The Sergeant are in the same um barber shop or something like that. Um and like mm-hmm. that scene I found very effective and like fun in a weird way. Um and then like as the film went on, I sort of uh, like found the film losing its way, but like I don't know if I necessarily wanted it to like I needed like the excitement of it. I I was I was invested enough in the dialogue. It reminded like it reminded me a bit of like like you mentioned the hateful eight, but like the elements that worked in the hateful eight. <laughs> Not like the as few or far between as they might be. Um But no, it's a it's a strange one. I, I don't know.
2: I just think that they spend so much time talking up the Cisco kid, it would have been nice to see something from him. You know? Yeah. It's great that uh, he outsmarts, he outsmarts the guy at the end. And, you know, I guess that's what it's all leading up to is this demonstration of his slipperiness and how you can't catch the Cisco kid, but you know, uh, a little, uh, gunplay or something, you know, some of the more classic tropes of a Western, at least, you know, it kind of has the dressings of it, but few of the actual, uh, substantial pieces of it, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, fun. and I think like having that would help um, sort of bridge the the slowness of of oh. the way the ways that it feels like it loses its way in the in the dialogue in the latter the latter like two thirds realistically because like there are exciting moments. I mean, even that final scene is sort of exciting in its in its trickery, if you will. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just there's so little delivery on all of the the intrigue going on that like it just feels like you know, a weird a, a sort of low-stakes low melodrama or something.
0: <laughs> it does feel very, very low-stakes, which I think is interesting. Um, like, yeah. I, it's funny, the other films, um, <clears throat> like Broad A Melody, especially in Hollywood Review, you can, I think, really latch on to what excited audience at the time about it being a talking picture. But, like, this one, mm-hmm. it's funny because... I do wonder it's like it must have just been the the base appeal of like oh they're talking that is the appeal of this one because um otherwise I, it is sort of interesting just think of like what what do they latch onto to here because it's like because it's I don't know like there's no um interesting interesting use of the sound beyond just like the in my opinion on um, just like the fact that like they are speaking and with some ho- horribly insensitive accents <laughs> but um <laughs> Um, I don't know. Um, let's. This film won Best Actor. Um, for w- Warren Baxter won for playing the Cisco Kid, um, beating out George Bancroft for Thunderbolt, Chester Morris for Alibi, Paul Mooney for the the Valiant, and Lewis Stone for the Patriot. I believe none of us have seen any of the other films, but Alibi, right? Or uh, I've um... actually seen the Patriot. <laughs> if only you're hiding it this whole time. <laughs> George has the one uh, remaining reel. I-
2: <laughs> hey, physical media is very important. That's why I have my copy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I've only seen old in, in old Arizona an Alibi in that in that group.
0: Well, what do, what do we think of Warren Baxter's performance? Like, is this like a was it was it an impressive performance? Do you think it's more deserving than Chester Morris? Um, Marissa, no. let's start with you. No,
1: <laughs> yeah, full stop. No, <laughs> Chester Morris is more interesting on screen. It's just mm-hmm. like a, a like I don't know parody of like a race and B like cowboy villain. It just is so. It's it it truly felt like to to bring back the SNL skit of it all. It yeah. felt like that for sure. So and like Morris is genuinely um, compelling on screen, and I'm not just saying that because he's like handsome or whatever. He's just like a more complex villain who like I actually would root for over the, the Warren Baxter's character.
0: George. Do yeah. You, are I you agree. agree. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're all in agreement. Yeah. Yet. It's like, it is sort of insane that he, that he won. I think, I don't know. It is just like, there's no like movie star charisma to him even beyond like, like, which I think is like necessary for um, playing this sort of character. Like it just like, it feels so, disjointed from like i don't like i don't know if if old hollywood had such good movie stars and i'm just like you watch this and you're like i don't know like he seems w- what bland's and tristan morris is doing something genuinely compelling uh, every,
2: every now and then i saw a little bit of a sparkle in his eyes but <laughs> <laughs> you you saw the potential um yeah okay. yeah but no i definitely still think that uh old chester should have should have won
0: <laughs> well ju-
2: justice for chester morris
0: um yeah <laughs> all right let's um let's just dive into cause this is a hard um year to go through the categories for but like marissa and i both watched the film that won best actress the coquette um which starred mary pickford george did you watch that one
2: Uh, No, I did not.
0: Good for you, honestly. Yeah, get ready for just some intense discussion of this film, basically. Um, Matt, you bought
1: that on DVD, right? right?
0: I bought it on DVD with the full intention of going to that very store near my office and selling it back afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe, I don't know – it must they must not get many people returning that film. So I'm just like I'm like maybe I'll get a hmm. decent amount of money for it. Who knows? We'll see. Or they'll see it and be like, no, huh. thank you.
1: But um yeah, they're gonna be like, This is not an actual film. Sorry.
2: <laughs> they're like, you have to pay us to dispose of it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is
0: truly like the DVD copy is so bad. Like there's not even a proper menu. It's just like literally, it's like press play and then um there's no subtitle option and like it was like very hard to hear them sometimes so i was just like again volume fully blasting basically and i was just like like sitting there like oh my god what what an insane film Uh, marissa do you want to introduce us to the coquette
1: (laughs) not really i mean (laughs) mary pickford plays like a southern slut essentially um yeah and then like There are dudes around. (laughs) That's kind of it. It's like that's the premise and it goes nowhere. And people hated it at the time. And the only reason she won is because she she was the first person to campaign for an Oscar because she brought over the five people who decided it because they were still the five people deciding at the time to have tea at her house. So like on one level, like this sucks. But like on the other, I have to stand. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like it is. I, I, there are
0: moments where you can, like, her silent moments where you can kind of see, like, because she obviously was, like, a silent actress. It's like, there are those little moments when you could be like, oh, like, I see something interesting going on here, but truly, the material does her no favors, but it is a very annoying performance for long periods of time and um, just a wild role, but I I agree. I I respect the hustle of it all. It's like she created what, every actor has to do now, basically of just like getting yourself out there. Um, consider as change
1: change the rules. They changed the rules because of her, because they're like, people were like, listen, nobody liked that film. And she's like mediocre at best in it. So like there was all this scandal about like, clearly they just chose her because she's one of the founding members. So then that's why they, they opened up voting the next year to the entire Academy. Like that is, that's,
0: Iconic. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because the Hollywood forum press is still taking bribes um, for the Golden Globes. <laughs> so, so like she'd be at home if the Golden Globes were around. Um, no, just like what an insane film that constantly like took turns I was not expecting but like was also horrified by it. Like um, it involves like her, a love triangle between like the guy she should end up with like I'm using this, do it all in air quotes. She should end up with none of them. Um, everyone needs therapy in this movie. But um, she, there's like the bad boy. There's the one who, um, she, like, um, is supposed to end up with. There's her her brother who like looks the exact age as her, but like acts like ten years younger <laughs> the whole movie. Um, and her father who kills one of her suitors and like the the whole town is like oh like if he did it for your daughter's name it's fine and i'm just like jesus like
1: the that, that whole section is wild she's like when she's like i'm gonna fucking perjure myself in court to save my father for killing the man i love who like who uh, wild by the way <laughs> they like they spend a night not fucking in a in a cabin together and the whole town is like burn the witch essentially it's, it's south was wild but like it's crazy I, yeah, it's, it's the narrative is wild and it sounds better than it is but it's like so boring at the same time oh
2: man no yeah Bro, it you're is, doing a bad job of not selling it <laughs> it is not fun
0: like it like that's what i kept i i wanted i was like forcing myself to laugh at it because i desperately needed something to be entertaining because it is just like i don't know and it's just it's such a weird Film like the scene where she finds out that like her her um father I almost said husband which is saying something about the film's tone um the when her father killed the um the suitor like there's like just like this never ending scene of her learning the news and like vocally reacting but like the plot not being furthered and it is just like I was just, like when is this over <laughs> like it's like when when are we going to be done like move along um. Or this scene that really made me just gasp of like her um in court, her father learning the lesson of like he shouldn't have killed the guy, and like her sitting on his lap to like <laughs> like to talk
1: about it with him and her in front of a full court. And I was just he's, like, he's, in the background she's in the foreground, she's like weeping in the background, he's like his face is falling like maybe murder was wrong, and I shouldn't have killed the love of her life am i a bad dad it's like yes bro what are you doing
2: <laughs> god hey, you need a clear moral lesson at <laughs> I,
1: guess so. I mean I sell that dvd to george <laughs> yeah there you go george
0: i'll bring it up you love physical media <laughs> i'll um, take it <laughs> the um i just like kept thinking of those like horrible things you see on facebook sometimes of like the dads with like at the prom with like their daughters like whole like 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 threateningly oh. holding their daughter's date and I'm just like, God, nothing's oh, ever changed. No. Nothing's ever changed. It's totally that. God. It's that picture of the movie. Yeah, basically, basically. Um God, no. What All a- right,
2: I'm back out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's out. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna find the new person by this TV. Um Yeah. <laughs> I bought a lot of movies for for this season of the podcast, and I'm just like, damn! Like none of them have been that good so far, and I'm very disappointed. But um, thank God for this DVD. I have story. a legal straight. <laughs> um, but um, I will say I reading about Mary Pickford. She also that year did um a version of the Taming of the Shrew, which was a big flop. But I was like, I'd watch that. Like, like let's watch that film. I don't know. Yeah. T- love, love me some Shakespeare. Um, even though I did like the credit of Written by Shakespeare <laughs> I like the, that play yeah I, I love that play I love 10 Things I Hate About You it's just like please like let's do it um, maybe I'll go watch 10 Things I Hate About You after we finish recording um, god what if what, what a film that, that that was exhausting to talk about um, so let's go back to just the only real category we can vote for as a group because so many of these movies are hard to find um Outstanding picture. Just to review the nominations really quickly um, for those who are still hung up on the plot details of the coquette and forgot. Um, the Broadway Melody one Also nominated was Alibi, The Hollywood Review of 1929, In Old Arizona, and The Patriot. Which film are you going with, Marissa? Are you going to keep it with the Broadway Melody or vote for something else?
1: I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a sort of a contest between Alibi and and Broadway Melody. I think I think I have to keep it with Broadway Melody just because of the influence of it and all the things it means. But like Alibi is very good. If you had to watch only two things from this year, uh, or anything from this year, then those are those are kind of it for me.
2: George, how about you? You know, I'm gonna split the vote here. Um, hmm. I I respect. Broadway Melody, and I did enjoy myself while I was watching it, but I just think that um, that Alibi's on another level. You know, I, I certainly can understand what is saying about the influence that it's had, but I think that Alibi has a lot of influence as well, um, both even in just the limited amount that I've seen and from what's reported. Um, I think that it's a more fun movie, just like in terms of the amount of enjoyment that I got out of it, Alibi was definitely higher amount than Broadway Melody. Um, so yeah, I just think that overall with the performance, the story, um, the way that it has the unique camera, um, uh, like German, uh, German expressionist influence, um, it's very dynamic, like you said. Uh, and I think that that is all to the film's benefit and I am going to reward it with my vote for outstanding picture.
1: Yeah. Very cool. It, um, it, I will say it, if, I, I mean, I, I watched a lot of the stuff that was like or most of the stuff that's uh, nominated or or considered as nominated for director, including the divine lady. And like there's Alibi should have won director over, over, um, over that, over the divine lady, which is just a, a sort of the, the proto Oscar bait, honestly. Do you want to talk about the divine lady a little bit or, um, Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. I guess, I mean, yeah, I'm probably the only one who's seen it, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I did not.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's to your benefit. Um, (laughs) <laughs> it, it's, it's like it's like an hour and 40 um it the divine lady is like it's a if you took like my fair lady and um and made it not a musical and like a costume drama about like um Napoleon and and like the wars in in and like the is 17 and 1800, or I guess the 1800s, I don't know, it's 1700. Yeah, the 1700s and like the revolution in France and, and wars in England and, and, and France, that's what you would get. Um, it's a, like the divine, the titular lady is, is a, like basically just like a, when she starts, she's like the daughter of a washerwoman who's like, and she's really um, uncouth, and then she starts to work for some like, some like nephew of a, of an ambassador basically. And he's like, you're awful. You can't work for me. Cause you're like too, too much of a, a loud little girl. Um, but then they fall in love as, as I say, <laughs> as so often happens. <laughs> um, but then she like, he, he doesn't marry her. Cause uh, there's some bullshit going on. I had a little trouble understanding what was going on because the only versions I could find had Spanish um, intertitles and it was a silent picture. So, there were a lot of intertitles and a lot of like jargon that I wouldn't understand about like ships, so um, <laughs> it's a little tough to follow. But um, like, she eventually becomes she she ends up marrying his uncle and becoming like the ambassador's uh, wife because uh, part of like the the first guy's um, whole thing is that like I like you a lot, but we can't get married until you like go to school, basically. And, like, learn to not be such a garbage person. So he, like, pays for all that. Um, it's not a great film for many reasons. Um, but, yeah, then it just sort of turns into the, there's the Napoleonic Wars uh, and the French Revolution. And um, I think the reason it won is because there's, like, outdoor scenes and also, like, um, a big gun battle with, like, um, with cannons and shit going off. So, like, that's cool for the time. But it 100%, like, with, with the sort of tragic love story in the middle of it the the costume drama of it all and then the like epic scale feels very much like um like truly the first piece of oscar bait that we ever got that's fascinating but yeah, Um yeah the whole thing there yeah the whole thing there is that like absolutely alibi should have won for best director there's no it's it's the best directed film of any of the things that were were made this year
0: well damn um that very interesting i just like i love this idea of like the dawn of Oscar bait and everything like that because nothing that we've else we've talked about for this episode is quite Oscar bait as you've come to understand it. Like it's one of the few trends that didn't seem to be born from this year. So I don't know. Just very interesting. Um,
2: well, um, I wonder—is to- it did it have the prestige at the time? Like, uh, I'm not as familiar with the history of the academy and everything as you guys are, so I'm sure. I'm curious. Did that did it have the prestige where they were like, oh, we should be making movies for these awards? Like, was that could no, that even no,
1: because this is only the second year, but like, it does feel like the first film, the first time that we see all of those elements to come together to win a film and make money and be like. Well liked enough to be in the conversation, and like
2: so, it's like people are like, "Oh, this is the one we should emulate."
1: Yeah, and, and that's what I think is that like it. It definitely, if I were, let's say, or a filmmaker of the time, I'd probably watch it and be like, "Wow, that's really spectacular." We gotta, we gotta start making those like this kind of epic. And realistically, that's that does eventually start to get made. I'm sure we'll have better understanding of that when we cover the you know the third Oscars or whatever. But yeah, yeah I don't know. It just felt like something that was like, "Oh, this is the first thing that like." this is this feels like something we would get now realistically or at least you know in the last ten twenty 20 years
0: i, I i'm in, I, i'm mildly interested it sounds rough but i something that i would be i would like to see at some point um i will say hey, back Marcia, to do you have a dvd you could buy
1: yeah <laughs> uh, no i watched that um so illegally <laughs> well, i guess i mean it's not under copyright anymore so it's just like around but yeah, yeah like that's the reason i couldn't find um a, uh, a, a an English intertitled one, which I would have preferred, obviously.
0: That's fair. I, it's on I, YouTube
1: I, in many forms. <laughs> <laughs> good to know, good to know.
0: Um, oh, well, so um, back to uh, the, the, our votes for Best Picture. I will break the tie. Um, I'm going to go with broad, Broadway Melody. I just like I think they're both great. Alibi and Broadway Broadway Melody. Curses. It's just, I don't know. I found, I had more fun watching Broadway Broadway Melody. I don't know why. Maybe it's something queer. I don't know. But, um, they're both really interesting. And I think (laughs) both, um, like, you can feel the influence on movies that I like a lot today. So I, I just, I don't know. Interesting, interesting, weird little year of a best picture race. Um, unfortunately george and i do not have other films from this year that we can highlight because we are um or at least i i don't want to speak for george i'm a bit of a philistine when it comes to these sort of things but um um marissa we're gonna have a marissa's corner because marissa has some other films she wants to highlight from this year
1: yeah and we're skipping the the extra category that we usually oh, do because yeah. there just aren't enough categories there's only seven you know and some of them um, are
0: just like impossible to really like talk
1: about it. i don't know yeah yeah i mean we can barely talk about the ones we usually cover um yeah th- there are two films that i would say are interesting um man with the movie camera by zika vertov uh the russian filmmaker came out this year um and would have been eligible but like obviously <laughs> you know distribution rights are not the same back then um but it's a sort of formative text of the of filmmaking and like the way it's edited it's a silent film but it's essentially just like a day in the life in Russia. Um, but it's all about, like, it's about modernity and, like, the recording of it and the technology advancement of of the camera and what you can capture and how much you can capture and how visceral it is. Um, it's sort of hard to explain. I mean, it's really just a, a, a sort of a an experiment in filmmaking through editing that is really excellent um, and totally worth watching and very much available for free uh, on many platforms because, again – Uh, you know, the copyright is up Um, and uh, it's only an hour and six minutes and very compelling for that whole time. So watch it if you can. I will say there are some versions of it, like because it's a silent film, you, you can kind of put whatever music you want on it. I kind of prefer like a more piano traditional thing. There's a jazz version that I think is fine, but like not the point. Um, so I would try to listen to it with like music and styling that would be appropriate to the time period. Um, yeah. Um, but the other one I wanted to highlight was, um, white shadows in the South seas, which I put on my list for some reason, and I'm not quite sure why, probably just because I do not know. I thought maybe I, maybe I was thinking forward about this, this segment. Um, but it's a, it's a, it won the Cinematography Award, which is perhaps why I watched it. Um, it was filmed as a silent and then dubbed with sound effects and music, but no dialogue, so it kept the inner titles. Um, and it's technically MGM's first, like, you know, retrofitted-to-sound picture, and it was a huge hit. Um, and it is – it was, it's just an odd – I don't know. I, I just was surprised that it existed because it's basically about um, – And it's all filmed on location, which is why it's won that cinematography award and probably, I mean, could have been up for director realistically as well. Um, But it is about um, a doctor who lives on some island unspecified in Southeast Asia, basically. And he's like, furious about the way that people like Americans and, and British have colonized the area and the way that they've like, you know compromised and and are using these people it's basically a, a movie about the evils of colonialism which i absolutely did not expect in 1929 um, and he is he's like railing against these these like there's there's all these pearl divers right they they're making the locals like pearl dive but a lot of them are just dying because it's so dangerous and they're they're being pushed and pushed and pushed um, by the colonizers, um, and he starts to fight back against that. So the the like military like put him on a boat that has like bubonic plague on it. They're supposed to burn, but they like throw him on that and then push him out to sea, um, tied to the mast, hoping that he'll die. But then he doesn't die. He ends up on another untouched island. He's like the first person to get there, um, and he's like thrilled because he's like, oh, thank God, there's no colonization here. But um, and he falls in love with this girl, and then he's like integrated into the the. Um, the system for a while but then he like realizes there are pearls on the island and all of a sudden like there's an inner title that's like yeah he means well but like at the heart of every man is greed and i was like oh shit like this <laughs> is a fully anti-white people movie like i'm into this um so then he starts like connect collecting pearls and then he like lights a fire to get you know taken back essentially to civilization quote unquote um And, like, be a rich man because he has all these pearls. Um, And then he basically does what he feared at the beginning. He ruins that island when everybody comes to save him. But then he ends up, you know, getting killed, I think, or something. So, yeah, it's, it's a wild movie that I was like, I mean, this is, like, so progressive for 1929, and there is like elements of like um, sort of exoticism and like fetishizing of other cultures, but like the fact that he, <laughs> it, it, it views colonization in such a like negative light is very impressive. And like the visuals are really stunning. So yeah, it's just um that's pretty easy to find as well. Um, both of those are all pretty easy to find if you have a Google device, <laughs> if you will. Do you but, yeah, um that's it. Think any of them deserved
0: um best picture over Broadway broad Melody?
1: No, 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 no. I mean, no, they're just very different things. Like, uh, Man with a Movie Camera is important film history-wise because it became influential. Um, and South Seas is just interesting. Like, mm-hmm. a, a surprising thing from that time period. But no, I, I still think in terms of, like, filmmaking sophistication and influence, it's, like, it's hard to argue against Broadway Melody for me.
0: Very cool. Um... Oh wow, well, what a what a bizarre, weirdly influential year with movies that are are just interesting little pieces of film history. Um I still if we're talking about early 1920s cinema, I think I'm still hung up on uh Seventh Heaven, my my beloved Seventh Heaven from last year, but or um our last yeah. season, the the last year. But um what a, what an interesting roundup. Um we're going to be back next week for um listeners but for us in like a month to um talk about um 2008 for um if you want to catch up on catch up on some movies for our next episode. Um, you know, that's a pretty pretty famous year. Some of the millionaire um was nominated, Benjamin Button not nominated but I'm sure it'll come up Dark Knight, like just a, a big year for movies. So, look forward to that next week. Um, let's go, George, where can people find more of your work online and, um, plug your podcast?
2: Yeah. So you can find me writing on the pop break. Um, you know, I cover mostly movies on there. Um, but like I said, I mentioned before that there was an article I did where I reviewed every single Godzilla movie and, uh, said whether it was worth your time or not. And, uh, that's a fun one that I'm proud of. So go look that one up. Uh, And as Matt said, um, I have a podcast called The Best Little Horror House in Philly. Uh, It's the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And uh, I'm thrilled to say that we've had Matt on as a guest, and it was fantastic. Um, Mm. And uh, you know, this is a, a, an exclusive plug uh, coming up. We have our very own Marissa as well coming on. Um, so uh, she'll be doing our Christmas episode, which I'm really proud of. Um, so look forward to that. Uh, yeah, and you can find that uh, on Twitter at LittleHorrorPHL and uh, find the podcast wherever you podcast, probably whatever platform you're listening to this on. <laughs>
0: I love that podcast. I've been listening to it every week. It's always, always – always. I love your Strangers episode. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, Marissa, where can people find more of your work online? And what do you have coming up on that? Marissa- Actually, we don't know when when this will be up.
1: Yeah, I was <laughs> say who knows what I'll have coming up by then. Um, at Marissa Carpico everywhere, I'm sure I'll have stuff up on the site, although I'm getting close to a burnout space. So we'll see.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what comes first. Um, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Matt, Matthew one and you can find me on Letterbox at MattT. Um, all right, everybody. Thanks for listening.